Thank you for playing with all of us. Lately, I've been listening to the music of John Luther Adams. Perhaps you've heard some of his compositions. If you have, you will know that through music, he paints a landscape, always a particular landscape, usually of some place in Alaska where he lives. Through his arrangements of sounds, you hear things like tundra, the heart of winter, the fall of snow, the ice melting, the earth groaning, a vast ocean, sheer ice, sheer rock, the passing of a storm, or the songs of birds. His music is quite mesmerizing. Indeed, it can transport you to geographically far away places, no doubt to the far ends of the earth. And it moves you there by the power of listening. In an essay, John Luther Adams wrote about which ideas had the most influence on how he approaches music, his surroundings, everything, really. He attributed to American composer and writer John Cage the assertion that music depends on listening. When we listen, the whole world becomes music. The center of music is no longer the omniscient composer. It's the listener. And the composer is now free to be a listener, too. For John Luther Adams, this assertion about listening is so far-reaching that it has ecological implications. It set John Luther Adams on a course to see how we can inhabit music like we inhabit nature. The places we live in resonate. The sounds of a place, the songs of birds, the cries of animals, the rhythms of the seasons, and the reverberations of all of nature's elements all echo in the music of a place, he writes. On the coast, it may be the roar of a surf. On highways, it may be the whir of automobiles. Inside your home, it may be an underlying electrical hum. Often we are so accustomed to these sounds that we don't even notice them. These are the sounds of particular places against which all the other sounds are noticed. If we stand still in a place and carefully listen, we realize that there is no absence of sound. It turns out that silence is not the absence of sound, but rather the presence of stillness. The Canadian composer R. Murray Schaefer uses the term keynote to name those sounds of particular places against which all the other sounds are perceived. I have been quite taken by that idea. Is there a keynote to every place? Yesterday morning, as I was walking around Swarthmore, I tried to listen. In between all the hellos I received and extended to passersby, I heard the birds singing and wondered if birdsong were the keynote to this place. Then as I walked through the town, 
I even wondered if the people greeting one another could count as a keynote. Then as I walked through the crumb woods, I remembered what Professor Mark Wallace, who often worships here, had written in the opening chapter of one of his books. Having moved into a house on the edge of, nearly inside the crumb woods, he described the song of the wood thrush, whose melody is, quote, liquid, flute-like, perfectly pitched, and that amazingly simultaneously produces two independent musical notes that reverberate with each other. Here is what he wrote. In the spring and summer, I wake up and often go to sleep to the vocal pleasures of a bird that I cannot see, but whose delicate harmonies pleasantly haunt my dreams. Like God's spirit, I know the thrush is there. I hear its lilting cadence from dawn to dusk, but I've only seen one wood thrush during the time I've lived in the crumb woods. I creep around the forest floor, looking skyward, hoping for a sighting, but it always escapes my gaze. Instead, I keep my window open at night as a vector for the thrush's call. Bathed in its music, it is hard for me to distinguish between waking and sleeping, between twilight, midnight, and early morning. End of quote. Listening for the music of this place, listening for its keynote, I found myself wondering what the spirit sounds and sound keynote might be. Like the Presbyterian pastor Maltby Babcock, who in authoring the hymn, This is My Father's World, he wrote, this is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. Like him, I began listening for the sound of the spirit. In the story we heard today, Luke tells us that when the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This was no doubt the sound of the Spirit. Just as suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking in multiple different languages, none of which they had ever spoken before. It was the sound of all this that attracted the attention of others. As much as this was a speaking event, it was also a listening event. For when this international crowd of people listened, they heard the disciples speaking in all of their native tongues, and they were amazed. Indeed, this too was the sound of the Spirit. It was on Pentecost that the people realized that God's Spirit, like the sounds of the earth, the water, and the air, belonged to no one and yet to everyone. This is how the church came into being, through listening. Listening carefully 
for the music of the spheres. What we learn from the Pentecost story is that we can hear the music of the spheres from wherever we are, because the whole world belongs to God, and God's spirit is everywhere and for everyone. What we also learn from the Pentecost story is that the sounds of the spirit differ according to the different places people live and the different languages they speak. Did you know that there is an estimated 6,000 languages spoken and signed in our world today? Many languages, like English and Thai, are standardized, but many more are not. In the introduction to his book, Babel, linguist Gaston Doran writes, that we can safely estimate that 75% of the people on this planet are able to communicate in at least one of the top 20 most spoken languages in the world, either as their primary or secondary language. As these languages are growing in use, thousands of languages are declining in use. And along with this decline, is the disappearance of valuable knowledge codified in words, stories, and names. Along with the decline in these spoken languages is another significant loss, the loss of whole ecological systems in which the rhythms, sounds, and shapes of the natural environment resonate in the languages which we speak. What those who study these things have found is that there is a correlation between greater biodiversity in a locale and greater diversity in the native languages of that locale. In other words, places that have a high concentration of diversity in species also have high concentration in diverse native languages. So in those countries where more native languages are spoken, you'll also find more native species of birds, butterflies, plants, and so on. According to some studies, in the last 500 years, about half the known languages of the world have disappeared. And this corresponds to the disappearance of many species in those locales. There is no evidence yet for a causal relationship between the biodiversity and the diversity of languages in those regions. I raise the correlation because I can't even begin to imagine the sounds inhabitants here in those places, how rich in linguistic and biological diversity they must be. Sounds of animals and landscapes, sounds of weather and water, Sounds of speech that onomatopoetically echo all of it. No matter where we live, though, each of us inhabits a landscape of sounds. And God assures us that the Spirit is present there. It is up to us to listen for the Spirit's keynote and the music of the spheres. Amen. Amen.